Whether you're watching from home or wherever you are, uh, whether it's on live stream, or maybe you're going to watch this later on today, we welcome you today to Alpha Omega International. We are giving today's uh, service through live streaming, and we're hoping that uh, all things will work out and that you'll be able to tune in live as I am speaking here today. Wherever you are right now, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to look to God's Word today back in our Sermon on the Mount series. Today's sermon is titled, Jesus, My Righteousness. And as you recall, we've already gone through the Beatitudes that Jesus taught about. We also talked about how Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And now we're going to continue on in what Jesus says, and we're going to look today at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. And as you're turning to that, I'll read that for all of us here today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Again, today's title is Jesus, my righteousness. Now Jesus, all of a sudden, in this Sermon on the Mount, it seems like out of nowhere, he's suddenly talking about the law of God the law and the prophets of God. Why is that? Well, I think we can find clues to why Jesus speaks this way at this moment. We can find it in three key words mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew before Jesus began to preach this Sermon on the Mount. One key word is repent. Now, if you recall, before Jesus came, John the Baptist was preparing the way for him. And John the Baptist had one message for the people. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he brought people into the Jordan River and baptized them in water. And people came because they knew they were sinners. And they knew they needed forgiveness. They knew they needed cleansing. And by baptizing themselves in water, they were showing that desire, Oh God, cleanse me of my sin. Make me new. John preached. Repentance. It means to turn away from sin. And then when John the Baptist was arrested and put into prison, we then read in Matthew that Jesus carried on the same message. As he began to preach to all the people, his message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And so Jesus also taught the need of repentance. Now why is that key? Because there were many Jewish religious people, like the Pharisees and the scribes. They believed that they were the holiest of all holy people. And they believed that they were already righteous in the ways that they acted, especially according to the law of God. And so who does John and who does Jesus 
Who do they think they are teaching even us that we need to turn from our sin? Aren't we already holy? Yes, John even spoke to these Pharisees and scribes, and so did Jesus. And they told them that even they needed to repent in order to be cleansed. And then we also have the word gospel. Matthew says that Jesus began to preach and to teach the gospel. Gospel means good news. Gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. And that word was used by the Romans when a new emperor arose to power and sat on the throne, it was called good news. At least that's what they thought it would be. Well, here comes Jesus preaching good news, euangelion. And he wasn't preaching as a king or as a new king, but as the king of heaven. The king of heaven was among the people, and he preached the good news of his presence, and he also preached in salvation by grace, through faith. He preached about forgiveness and mercy. The third key word is Gentiles. Because when Jesus was preaching and teaching, it wasn't only to the Jewish people. It wasn't only to the house of Israel. He preached to the Gentiles, those who were outside of Israel, those who were outside the religious living of the Jews of Jesus' day. And so this good news is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. So all these things, repentance, the gospel, and the Gentiles, these things caused many Pharisees and many religious Jewish people to be alarmed. And they began to ask a question. And maybe they didn't voice it, but Jesus knew it was in their heart. And the question may have been, what about the law of God? You're preaching good news. You're preaching salvation through faith. What about the law? And they questioned, is Jesus setting aside the law of God as though there's no more need to adhere to the commandments of God? Are God's commands now needless and are they outdated? We don't have to worry about them anymore? Is that what he is saying? And so within that attitude and probably those questions, this is why Jesus says what he says now. And we'll see what Jesus thought about the law. And today, if we have ears to hear what he says, if you can hear it from your heart, what Jesus says today about the law, it should drive all of you to Jesus Christ today. It should teach all of you how much we need a Savior. And so as we look at what Jesus said in these few verses, we're going to look at his words following this outline. Number one, the perfect Lord. Number two, the perpetual law. And number three, the pleasing life. Amen. So let's begin with number one, the perfect Lord. Look at this verse once again, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now the law and the prophets, today we may just call it the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament was broken up into categories. There was the law of God, 
that was talked about in many chapters of many books of the Old Testament. And there were also the prophets who prophesied and wrote their prophecies. There are other parts of the Old Testament, like the history books and poetry, but in all, you can divide the Old Testament by the law and the prophets. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to destroy any of it, but I came to fulfill everything written in the law and written by the prophets. So first of all, what is the law? The law can be looked at as the moral law, which are the Ten Commandments. We can also see the ceremonial law, the laws of ministering at the tabernacle or the temple, the laws of offerings and the laws of sacrifice unto the Lord. We can also see that God made laws for the society of Israel, how to live among each other and how to treat people who are outside the nation of Israel. Now, when it comes to the ceremonial law, do you know that every offering and every sacrifice God commanded, they were all pictures of Christ, pictures of his life and pictures of his death. I believe what Jesus is talking about here when he says the law, I believe he's talking mainly about the moral law or what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, we all know what they are. What happens when you consider the Ten Commandments? What happens if you were to put them in front of you and take a close look at them and begin to meditate upon them? Well, if you're like every single human being on the face of the earth, the first thing you should notice is that you have broken the laws of God. I know many of us, we come from a life of other religions where we worshiped other gods and worshiped idols. I know that there are many of us, if we're honest today and don't lie, we would be honest to say that we have spoken lies before. Jesus even goes a little bit further than some of these things. He says, it's one thing to say, I haven't killed anybody, but have you hated somebody in your heart? If you have, you're already committing murder in your heart. Covetousness, adultery, lying, stealing, disobeying or dishonoring your parents. When the Ten Commandments are put before you, we all know we're guilty. Every one of us, we have broken the law of God. But what happens when you put the law of God before Christ? What happens is we find that Jesus was perfect. From the time he was a boy to a teenager, learning in school, listening to the scriptures at the synagogue, when he got older and he began to work as a carpenter, working at the carpenter's bench. And then when he began to interact with people, whether it was his parents on earth, maybe his brothers and sisters in life, the disciples, when he began to minister to all the people in every part, in every moment of the life of Christ, he was perfect in every way according to the law of God. There wasn't a single moment that he sinned. And whether it was in actions or in words or even in his thoughts, there was no sin in Christ. We're guilty according to the law. But with Christ, he was sinless and perfect and holy. You know, in the Old Testament, when God first gave those Ten Commandments and Moses was coming down the mountain to present these tablets of stone written on them were the Ten Commandments of God, 
when he saw the people, they were already breaking the commandments. They were already worshiping other gods. They were already worshiping graven images. And Moses, in his anger, he cast down those tablets of stone at the foot of the mountain and they broke into pieces. But later, God made Moses get two new tablets. And God wrote the laws on those tablets and they would remain unbroken. And later, Moses put those unbroken tablets in the Ark of the Covenant of God and covered it with the mercy seat. And at that place in the tabernacle, the Spirit of God, His presence, rested upon that throne. That Ark was a picture of Jesus. Because in Jesus were the unbroken laws of God. He was perfect in every sense of the word. Do you know we can also see a picture of this in the days of the flood. After many weeks and months had gone by, Noah wanted to see, is there any dry land out there yet? And so Noah took a dove and he sent the dove away. But the dove eventually came back. Why? Because it found no resting place. The earth was still covered with the judgment waters for sin. And there was no resting place for that dove, and it came back. When you know, Matthew tells us about the baptism of Jesus. Matthew says that when Jesus was baptized by John in the water, in the Jordan, when Jesus came up out of the water, John said, I saw heaven opened. God the Father spoke. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then according to John the Baptist, he said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And he descended and he alighted upon Jesus. And he remained with Christ. There was only one person worthy for the Holy Spirit to alight upon. And that was the only one who lived perfectly according to the law of God. And upon Christ, the Holy Spirit came and rested upon Him. Jesus fulfills the law in every sense of the word. Today we all have laws that we are supposed to abide by. And there are two ways we can uphold or satisfy a law. You can either obey it or pay the penalty. Just think about the laws we have today. Imagine you're driving in your car. You're driving through a community. You come to a stop sign, and the law says you must stop your vehicle. You can uphold that law and fulfill it by either stopping and obeying the law, or if it, the law is broken, you must pay the fine that the law requires. Either way, the law in the end will be upheld by obeying it or paying the penalty. Do you know the beautiful thing about Jesus? He did both. He came to completely fulfill the law. He was perfect and obedient in every sense of the word, but he also paid the penalty because we are the ones who broke the law. So Jesus not only obeyed the law, he paid the penalty of our sin. And in Christ, the law of God is perfectly satisfied, upheld, and fulfilled. Praise God. The law is fulfilled in Christ. And also the prophets. 
All their prophecies were centered upon a Savior who was coming. They prophesied about the Savior who would come into the world, about the virgin birth, about the Savior's sinless life, about His miracles and parables. They prophesied of His death and resurrection and His ascension into heaven. And when Jesus died on the cross and said those words, it is finished. He fulfilled everything they said about Him. He fulfilled everything the prophets said about His first coming. And you can be sure, brothers and sisters, He will fulfill everything they said about His second coming as well. In Christ, the law is fulfilled and all the prophets are fulfilled. He is the perfect Lord. Number two, the perpetual law. In other words, it is unending, perpetual. He says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. A jot and a tittle. You know, the Greek word for jot is iota. And that's actually a letter, iota. It's much like the English alphabet letter I. And you know, the difference between an iota and an I, they're both one little line, but only in the English do we dot it up top. But according to the Greek alphabet, it is the smallest, most seemingly insignificant letter of the entire alphabet. It's just one little notch, one little scratch of ink on a paper. And also, he says, tittle. A tittle is just one piece of a letter, just the edge of it, just the curve of it. The difference between a C and an E is that one little horizontal line that we put in the E. That is a tittle. So Jesus is saying every detail of every letter, of every word, of every sentence of the law of God, it will not pass away while heaven and earth are still here. The law is the law. And the Word of God stands forever. We cannot say, but we live in different times, don't we? Societies change. People change. Lifestyles change. So shouldn't the Scriptures and the church change along with the world? No! Absolutely not. We must never say such things. Why? Because heaven and earth are still here. Therefore, the word of the Lord still stands. And if we begin talking that way and acting as though we can play around with the law of God, as though it's useless, as though it's just suggestions for a healthy lifestyle, if we treat the law like that, not only are we calling Jesus wrong, but we will then begin to fall into this trap of making excuses for our sins. Instead of repenting because of our sin, we're going to start finding excuses on why I should still continue doing what I'm doing. We cannot treat the law of God in such a manner. Do you know one example that I think of especially because of this month of June. 
It's called Pride Month for many people. It's the month that all homosexuals celebrate because of their lifestyle. And the fact that they call it Pride should tell us something about that lifestyle. But today, they want to pretend that God has nothing to say about homosexuality. Or maybe he did at some point, but he's changed his mind over time. Is that true? If you look in the Old Testament, whether it's the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, or it's what God said about homosexuality in Leviticus, he calls it an abomination, meaning it's something God hates. Did God change his mind? Just read Romans chapter 1, and you'll find out he has not changed his mind. The sin of homosexuality is still sin today. If you read in 1 Corinthians around chapter 6, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says that many of you, you used to be homosexuals. You used to be sodomites. But then Jesus saved you, and he cleansed you, and he has sanctified you. You used to be homosexuals, is what Paul communicates to them. We are not to make excuses for our sin. We are to preach the truth of God's word, and we are to preach repentance. Our message, it stays the same because His words have not changed. And here is a lot of good news right here. Do you know something else that does not change? Not only what God says about sin, but do you know what else does not change? The blood of Jesus Christ, it still cleanses us from all sin. It still saves it still delivers, and it still heals. Praise God. The word of the Lord does not change. And then Jesus talks about the attitude concerning many with the law. He says in verse 19, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is all about a person's attitude toward the Ten Commandments, the commandments of God. Apparently, the religious Jews in Jesus' day, they divided the laws of God into the great commandments and the lesser commandments. As though some were really important and others, well, there's some playroom we can have with them. It was an attitude that did not take the Word of God seriously. And not only were they willing to break certain commandments, but they taught people to do the same. And Jesus says this must not be. Perhaps these Jews forgot about the man in the Old Testament who knew that on the Sabbath he was to rest, enjoy the presence of God, that it wasn't to be business as usual, but a time of resting, being still before the presence of God. And he, for whatever reason, thought he didn't have to listen. And he went out and worked and gathered sticks. And the end result, God commanded that he be stoned. Why? Because he didn't take God seriously. And we must not make the same mistake. Now some might say, but if I 
break the commandments, at least I'm the least in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, doesn't that mean I'm still going to heaven? I'll just be sort of lesser than some other Christians? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And I don't think we should interpret it in that way. I think we should interpret this as Jesus warning us that there will be judgment if you have a lazy attitude toward the Word of God. If you think it is nothing and it bothers you not at all to break His commandments, there may be judgment for you. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus talked about people who teach children a wrong doctrine. They teach a false teaching and they cause young people to sin. Jesus said for that teacher, it would be better to wrap a millstone around their neck and cast themselves into the sea and drown. That doesn't sound like a good thing. And so I believe there will be judgment for those who take this command, the Word of God. If they don't take it seriously, there is judgment to come. What is your attitude toward the Word of God? That's a question we all better ask ourselves. It is the perpetual law. It's not going anywhere. Last, number three, we see the pleasing life. Now, how many of you listening to me right now, how many of you would say, yes, I want to live a pleasing life before God? Would you say that? The last verse Jesus speaks, verse 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, first of all, that word exceed. He said, if, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. That word exceed, it's used by Matthew. When Matthew tells the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and when Jesus fed the 4,000. According to Matthew, Jesus fed 5,000 men, but there were probably thousands and thousands of other women and children as well. But when Jesus fed the 5,000, the Bible says that everybody ate until they were full. There wasn't a single hungry person after that meal. And yet, the disciples collected leftovers, 12 baskets full. And Matthew says there were 12 baskets remaining. And that word remaining is the same word he uses here for exceeding. In other words, what Jesus offered far exceeded what was necessary. And then Jesus fed the 4,000. And they all ate until they were full. Every man, woman, and child and yet there were leftovers. Seven baskets full were left over. And Matthew uses the same word for exceed. What did it mean? That what Jesus gave was so far abundantly more than what was needed and required. So now he uses the same word to speak about our righteousness compared to the even most religious people on earth. Jesus says our righteousness, it must be exceeding theirs. It must be abundantly more and above even the most religious of people on earth. 
We need a righteousness that is far more satisfying to God than any religious practice, any code, or rituals, or sacraments. We need a righteousness that is far superior than any man or woman can live by. No matter how good we think we're doing, we always fall short of the glory of God. And so now imagine all these people who are listening to Jesus saying such words. They believe that the Pharisees and the scribes were the best of the best. The Pharisees taught if only two people enter into heaven, it will be a Pharisee and it will be a scribe. How can you compete with such holiness and righteousness? What did these people think when Jesus said that? They're listening to his words. And suppose they say, now what? Where do we find such a righteousness? How can we be more righteous than them? Where do we find such perfect holiness and righteousness? They would find it in the one who is speaking to them. It's in Jesus we find this righteousness. And the good news is this. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God, the perfect, wonderful righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When we are saved through that wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, God reveals to us a perfect righteousness. It's found in no other than Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us that we are credited with the righteousness of Jesus. This is why Jesus, the King of the Gospel, this is why Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are working so hard. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. When we put our trust in Jesus, we receive the righteousness of Christ. And I want to show you that this righteousness, it is imputed to us and it is imparted to us. What do I mean? Imputed means it is credited to you. It's the same as having a bank account and somebody credits you money. It now belongs to you. It's in your account. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith in Christ, God credits you. He imputes the righteousness of Christ to you. And it's as though we are clothed with Jesus. This is why the New Testament teaches that for those who are saved, we are in Christ Jesus. I think about it as though I'm walking to that Ark of the Covenant and I climb inside of the box and I cover myself with the mercy seat. That's what it means to be in Christ, covered with His perfect righteousness. 
the only righteousness that satisfies the law of God. And he also imparts righteousness. He puts it inside. He changes our hearts. The Bible teaches that God takes our heart that was like stone, and he changes it into a heart of flesh. Jesus said one time that you could put all the law of God into two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And in order to do that, we need our hearts changed. You see, this is what the Pharisees were missing. They were trying to do their best activities, but they had no change in their heart whatsoever. But when we put our trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, He gives us a new heart. He changes us. And in that new heart, we begin to desire the Lord Jesus. We begin to love God. And we also begin to love His law. Why? Because we know when we obey God, it pleases Him. And we want nothing more than to please God. We say as the psalmist did, I love your law, O God. And so the Lord changes our hearts. And even when we sin, even when we make a mistake, and we do, we are convicted and we ask Him for forgiveness. Why? Because our hearts now belong to Him. He is the one that we love. And when we sin, we know that He's not pleased with that sin. And so we run to Him for forgiveness. How did you feel when I asked you at the beginning of this last point, do you want to live a life pleasing to God? How did you feel when I asked you that? Was your heart stirred up inside of you? Did you say, yes, that's me? Well, I'll tell you this. When a person says, yes, I want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say that's a person that has been changed in their heart. Because only a person that has a changed heart can say such things. And I pray that we all would say that. Now, Jesus didn't say these things in order to then say, now go and do your best. No, he said these things in order to say, now come to me and believe. Now come to me, put your faith in me, and I will credit you my righteousness. And I will change your heart that you will desire to follow my commandments, that you will love me. Jesus says, if you love me, then obey my commands. Brothers and sisters, we need a changed heart and a changed life. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And I'll close with this. Just this past week, I was talking to one of our brothers from church, David. Brother David. David said to me, you know, before I met my wife, who was a Christian, before I came to this church and met many wonderful Christian people, before that, I was walking in sin, and I was blind. I was walking in darkness. But then I met my wife, who taught me about Jesus. And then I met the people of the church, and the light that my wife gave to me concerning the truth of Christ, the church just illuminated that light even more. 
And David testifies today. He's given his life to Jesus. He knows the truth. He knows what he was, a sinner. He knows who he is today, a child of God. And David would testify, my life has been changed. Everything about me is changing. The way I see things, the way I respond to things, the way I treat people, the way I treat my wife, I have been changed. I hear that testimony and I say, praise God. That's what happens to those who come to Christ. He is the perfect Lord. And so, since the law is going nowhere, God still wants us to live a righteous life. It begins by putting our trust in Jesus to have his righteousness credited to us. But then as we live this life from faith to faith, growing in our faith, growing in our relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit is changing us day after day that we will love God, we will love one another, and we will love to please Him. This is what it means. And praise God, Jesus is our righteousness. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It has not changed. It is still what it says it is. And I give you praise, O oh Lord, that you still save and still set free. You still impute righteousness to those who trust in you. And so, God, I pray for every person that hears this message. I pray that today, if they, if they don't know you, teach them they must know you. We cannot live a life pleasing to God without Jesus Christ. So today, Lord, let this be a new day where we give you our lives, we give you our hearts, and we ask you to change us, mold us, give us a new heart to be pleasing to you. And I pray, oh God, that we will be believers that will testify, yes, this life is from faith to faith. And I am growing. And I want to please my Lord. And I want to love him and serve him all the days of my life. Oh God, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that your word is still true. It is still powerful. And faith enters our hearts by the hearing of this word. Bless all those who hear it today. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you listening today, God bless you. May God be gracious and merciful to you. May God protect you and give you good health. May God heal our land, our city, and may God be with you all. Until next time, amen.